0: God today wants to save you. God today wants to give you eternal life. But you must decide, and you are indeed free to decide. But if you choose not to come to Jesus Christ, I want to tell you there's not enough angels in heaven to drag you down this aisle or any other place for you to make that decision.
1: Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. In our message entitled, The Judgment of the Respectable, from Romans chapter 2, Pastor Brogy has been looking at individuals who do not believe themselves bad enough to be sent to hell. They will often compare themselves to others, or they feel their good works outweigh their bad, and they lull themselves into a false sense of security. But the true plumb line of comparison is not others. It is the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ. As we pick up, Pastor Brogy unfolds the meaning of verse 6 of chapter 2, which says that God will render to each person according to his deeds.
0: Everything you do, God records. Every thought you think, God writes down. Every word you utter, God puts it down in indelible ink. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Paul will later tell us here in the book of Romans chapter 2 and verse 16, that God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. There are things that nobody else in this world knows, but God, he wrote it down. And before this great judgment, there are many people who probably thought they got away with it. Before they went into Hades, or those who were taken off the earth and right up into the judgment of God. There are some people who thought they got away with it. But be sure of this, the Bible says, your sins will find you out. Do you remember what Jesus said in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew? I tell you that every careless word that people speak, even their words... Every careless word people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Think about that. Words of profanity, words of judgment, words of gossip, words of deception, words of exaggeration, all of it. Nothing that is covered will not be uncovered. It is all going to be exposed at the judgment seat of God. And so he mentions, John does here in the Revelation, some books. It's plural, it's Biblia. He's not talking about a single book, though he will change that in a moment when he speaks of the Lamb's book of life. But he's speaking of these books, scrolls or books. It comes directly, Biblia in our language Bible. And it's going to be a horrifying discovery to some people. That every evil work they have done, thought, or or even thought about doing has been written down by God. Every one of them. In fact, uh, I have underlined in verse 13 in Revelation 20 the word everyone. It's the Greek word ekastos. Very woodenly it means each one. See, sometimes people think there's just this mass of humanity and God says, gone but the judgment is personal. God in His omnipotence, in His omniscience, judges each and every single one according to their deeds. Jesus spoke prophetically in Matthew 16 when He said, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father and will repay every man according to his deeds, exactly what Paul is saying here in Romans two six, when God will render to each person according to his deeds. Now remember that future courtroom that's described in the Revelation is not there to determine if you go to heaven or hell. It's not like God has this big scale, as the average pagan thinks, where He puts the good deeds on one side and the bad on the other, and if the good outweigh the bad, God says you made it, come on in. No, very clearly in Revelation twenty eleven to fifteen, everyone without exception, is cast into the lake of fire. And yet they are being judged according to their deeds. Why? For two reasons. First, because the Bible teaches that a man's deeds will show or prove whether or not he's ever been born again. You're not saved by works, you're saved by grace alone, but the grace that saves is never alone. And the sad thing is, just as Jesus prophesied would happen at the end of time, men's hearts will grow cold. The church will fill up with tear as well as with wheat. Why? Because after the church is raptured, there is coming a great apostasy. An apostate is someone who says, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. And they've walked up to the edge of salvation, but they've not stepped into the kingdom and then when Jesus comes for his church and God begins to unfold the great tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to come and the apostasy is going to take place. It's articular in 2 Thessalonians 2. There is an apostasy going on now, but there is a coming apostasy. We're in a worldwide way, professing Christians will renounce Christ and give allegiance to Antichrist. Paul in Titus 1 and verse 16 speaks of those who profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. There are lost people who say, I'm born again, I'm saved, but their life denies what they say. You say, well, I know a lot of lost people who do a lot of good things. Sure they do. For the glory of men, for the praise of self, for the appeasement of a guilty conscience, but not for the glory of God Almighty, not out of a grateful heart for the blood-bought atonement of Jesus Christ, Some are doing deeds because they're trying to earn a righteousness before God because they're unwilling in their pride to humble themselves like the publican in the temple who was so ashamed he didn't even look up into heaven but said, God have mercy upon me, the sinner. God knows what sinners are doing and God is writing down every single deed in heaven his books. And so Paul says they are judged according to their deeds. Number one, because their deeds give testimony to whether or not they've been saved. And number two, God judges men according to their deeds because it's based on their deeds that God meets out punishment in hell. Now listen, every time, every time, without exception, when the Lord Jesus speaks of anyone who goes to hell, it's an absolutely horrifying, breathtaking away kind of place. It's not a place you want to go. And yet somehow, in the perfect judgment of God, the Lord Jesus also taught that there's varying degrees of punishment in hell. When Jesus sent out the twelve, he said this in Matthew 10. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah A land that Jude, the book of Jude, describes as a picture of the coming judgment. You know how awful that judgment was. And yet somehow, for some people, like the citizens of Sodom, who had less revelation than many people sitting and listening to me today. It will be more tolerable for them in the day of judgment than for that city that Jesus had done all these miracles in. Jesus warned of the hypocrites who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces, in chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance' sake offer long praise, prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Listen. Though heaven is a wonderful place for anyone who goes there, it's not the same for everyone who goes there. Because there are degrees of reward amongst God's people. Though hell is a horrible place for anyone who goes there, it's not the same for everyone who goes there. Somehow it will be more miserable for some folks than for others. And so Jesus Christ is the righteous judge and he will judge each person's sin As it deserves. And so Romans 2 and verse 6 must be understood in light of the rest of the Bible when he says he will render to each man according to his deeds. Now look at verses 7 through 10. Paul now elaborates on this truth as he relates it to God's people. Two alternatives are presented in two carefully constructed parallel statements concerning our goal that is what is we seek in life, concerning our works, what we do in life, and concerning our end, where we are ultimately going. Look at verse 7. To those who by perseverance in doing good, for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Those who by perseverance in doing good seek glory, honor, immortality, eternal life. There are those who are truly saved who seek glory. Glory in the Bible is the outward manifestation of the inward character of God. And those who have been born again don't seek to show themselves off. They have a new heart out of gratitude that wants to do things for the glory of God. They seek God's honor or His approval. They seek, Paul says here, immortality, the unfading joy of His presence and they seek eternal life, that is that fellowship with God that we can know that is ultimately unbroken through all of eternity in heaven. Their heart goes after these things. Why? Because they've met God in conversion. On the other hand, there are those people who are characterized by a single damning description, what he calls here in verse 8, selfishly ambitious. Look at it. But to those who are selfishly ambitious, And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. They are selfishly ambitious. They are filled with their own thoughts, with their own puny little plans in this life. And so they do not obey the truth, but they obey unrighteousness. Do you see what he's doing? There's a contrast here between two lifestyles. Those who are Christ-centered and those who are self-centered. He's speaking here in a contrastive way between two kinds of works. Those who persevere in goodness and those who persevere in unrighteousness. And there are two outcomes. Eternal life and for some wrath and indignation. Hold your finger here, turn to John 5. It will be worth turning to. John chapter 5 for just a moment. Jesus sets up a very similar parallel. We're coming to an end. Just engage me for a couple more minutes. Jesus here in John 5 teaches the same truth that Paul teaches in Romans, that we're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And so he will say in John chapter 5 and verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has, this moment, eternal life. Eternal life is more than heaven. John seventeen three describes it as a relationship with God, knowing the Lord. When you believe you have right now eternal life, this person does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. It doesn't happen by works. It happens by your faith in the living God who has provided the Savior of the world. But then he goes on to describe the person who truly has been saved. Look at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now think your way through this verse. What does Jesus mean in verse 25 when he says an hour is coming and now is? You might want to circle those two words now is in your mind because it's key to understanding the verse. John is writing about a coming hour and just a moment he's going to mention it. But he's also speaking of an hour that now is. In a moment, he's going to speak of that coming hour when the dead will be raised. But in verse 25, Jesus said, an hour that is here right now, the dead are hearing the voice of the Son of Man and they are living. He's referring to those people who are spiritually dead, the way we are described in the Bible when we come into this world, physically alive, spiritually dead, who hear the voice of the Son of God and they receive spiritual life. Some of you, this hour, if you want, before you leave, can receive spiritual life. You can be born from above. You can be made a new person in Christ Jesus. This is a spiritual resurrection of sorts that is happening right now that is different from the coming physical resurrection that he's going to describe now in verse 28. Look at verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. In which all, and I have that underscored in my Bible because it tells me he won't miss a single soul. All who are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth. And notice there are two types of people who are raised. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who did the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now you will notice in the NAS the word deeds is italicized. Since William Tyndale's Bible, italics have been added in the Bible not for emphasis, but to show the English reader those words that are not in the Greek text but the translator supplies either to smooth it out or to give the implied meaning. But literally it reads to those who did the good, those who did the bad. Those who did good things, good deeds, good works, According to John 3 are born again and because they are born again John three twenty one says they come to the light so that it might be plainly seen that what is being done through them has been wrought in God. God's doing it through them. Conversely those who did the evil deeds or works or things to a different kind of resurrection. A resurrection of judgment or condemnation. These are the people that John 3 19 says will not come to the light lest their, li- their evil deeds be exposed. Now understand there are two important truths in these two verses. First Jesus is not contradicting what he said in verse 24 that salvation is totally by grace apart from works. But he is affirming that if you have been saved your life will change and if your life has never ever ever changed it just meant you you've never been saved listen the litmus test of what you profess is a changed life and every week goes by and i meet people who know all the right words who can properly answer the diagnostic questions but they live the lifestyle of a lost person they are deceived And they need to take a hard look at themselves and test themselves as Paul will deal with some of the Corinthians of whom he had doubts. Test yourself to see if you are indeed in the faith. So back here in Romans 2 verses 7 and 8, I'm going to bring this in for a landing now. Two parallel constructive sentences. Verses 7 and 8, the first parallel sentence. Verses 9 and 10, the second parallel sentence. Follow now. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Once again, two alternatives, two differences. First, like Christ, he has two categories of people. Every soul of man who does evil, and contradistinction in verse 10 to everyone who does good. Secondly, like Christ, there's two outcomes, there's two destinies. In verse 9, tribulation and distress for one. In verse 10, glory and honor and peace for the other. And in both sentences, Paul adds to the Jew first and also to the Greek. A a truth he's going to underscore when he comes to Romans 3.22 to say that there is no inequity with God be you a Jew or a Gentile all of us without exception are sinful and fall short of the glory of God. Now listen if a man is going to go to heaven He is only going to go there by the grace of God. And he will say in Romans 6.23, The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And like any gift, a gift is not something you earn. It is something you humbly receive. But if you have humbly received this gift, then your life will show it. Now God today wants you to be a part of his elect. God today wants to save you. God today wants to give you eternal life. But you must decide, and you are indeed free to decide. But if you choose not to come to Jesus Christ, I want to tell you there's not enough angels in heaven to drag you down this aisle or any other place for you to make that decision. God will never coerce your will. You are indeed a free moral agent. When God opens your heart up, you have the ability to choose. So you have the freedom to decide, But understand, you do not have the freedom not to decide. Because not to decide is to decide. Pilate, he he thought he could remain neutral. He thought he could wash his hands of the problem. But Jesus made it very clear there is no neutrality. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. There's no way you can be neutral. Not to make a decision is to make a decision. So you're free to choose, but you're not free not to choose. Because not to choose is to make a decision, and there are consequences that come with that decision. When I first became a Christian, there was a very popular tract in the mid-70s. And on one side it said, what must I do to be saved And below that question, there was a little box with Acts 16, 31 printed, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. On the other side, the question was asked, What must I do to be lost? And then there was a box below that was empty. What must you do to be lost? Absolutely nothing. You are born on the broad road that leads to destruction. By nature, we are children of wrath. Jesus made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. There are two ways. The broad road and the narrow road. There is no other road. There are two gates. The wide gate and the narrow gate. There is no other gate. And there are two groups. A large group and a small group. There is no third group because there is no such thing as neutrality. And there are two lifestyles. Those who bear fruit And those who don't, just as we read in Revelation 20, John 5, and this morning in Romans 2. And so we live in a day when many profess to be saved and they are so deceived. Because while they profess to know God, their deeds deny it. I just want to ask you, there's two ultimate destinies here. One that leads to life. And one that leads to destruction. And there's no third destiny like purgatory or anything else you can think of. Does your heart this morning beat for God? I mean, does it really, truly beat for God? If it doesn't, you may be self-deceived. And by the way, are, if you are saved, are you engaged And trying to rescue people from the wrath of God. You know we had some people who didn't come to Tony Evans last week. And you know what I heard? They said it's going to be so crowded. I don't want to have to deal with the crowd. Man they missed it. They totally missed it. It wasn't about them. It was about them reaching out to a lost world. And some of us we go to our classes. We go to our work. We sit in our neighborhoods. And we could care less whether or not someone's going to heaven or hell. Some of us, our hearts have grown so cold, so indifferent. We used to invite people to church. We used to share our testimony. We used to try to bring lost people to meet the pastor. We used to try to take people through the gospel. We used to pray daily for God to give us opportunities to tell people of Christ. We used to, we used to, we used to, but we no longer. The wrath of God is real. and You don't want to meet Christ as a Christian with regrets in your heart that you had opportunity to warn people but you did nothing. But neither be deceived thinking that you're on the right road when in reality you're on the broad road. What does your life tell? And if you're on the broad road, God wants to put you on the narrow road. If you're on the highway to hell, God brought you here this morning for a reason. He put a pastor in front of you So that today you could respond and be saved. And God has a big sign up. Exit now, heaven. Exit now, heaven. Exit now, heaven. He never says next exit. Because the next exit for some of us may be hell. Listen, we're born on the broad road. And God wants to rescue you off the broad road. But you must humble yourself. And come to Christ to receive forgiveness of sin in new life. You cannot remain neutral. You're free to decide. You're not free not to decide. And you're not free to escape the consequences. So will you decide? Remember, not to decide is to decide. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed... Please, no one leaving unless it's an emergency. I wonder how many this morning could say, Pastor Brogy, I know that I've received Christ as my personal savior. I know that I am saved. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. The spirit of God bears witness to my spirit that I'm a child of God. He has changed my life. Furthermore, I've confessed it publicly before men. As a symbol of my salvation, I have been baptized. And today, I'm a member of a Bible-believing New Testament church. If you can say that, would you raise your hands? Put them down, please. Now, some of you could not say that this morning. Perhaps you've never been saved. Perhaps, as I've been preaching, the Spirit of God has been speaking to you telling you that your profession is empty, that you're on the broad road, that while you may profess to know Christ, you give no change of lifestyle. Some of you do not have the assurance that if you died in the next 10 seconds that God would take you to heaven. You hope to, but you don't know. Or perhaps you've been saved and you've never publicly confessed it. You've never been baptized by immersion as a symbol of your faith. Or perhaps you're out of fellowship of a New Testament local church. And you know there's a decision you need to make. Maybe to join this church. Maybe to obey Christ in baptism. Maybe today to be saved. You know there's a decision that you need to make. And you could not lift your hand. But you know you want to make a decision. I want to pray for you. No one looking around. But if you know there's a decision you need to make. Either to confess Jesus as Lord. To receive him as Savior. To be baptized to join the church, raise your hand right now. Raise it up where I can see it. All right, people all over the auditorium. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray for these precious friends who have raised their hands. Some who need to receive Christ. And you said, Whoever will call on His name will be saved. Would you do that? Would you say, In simple faith, on the basis of the death, burial, and resurrection, would you confess Jesus as Lord? Would you say, "Lord Jesus, save me." Some father have made that decision even before today. but they need to be baptized, you said, to believe and then be baptized. And they need to obey Christ. They need to show that their profession is not empty, that it's genuine. And that's just the first step. Help someone today to do that. Maybe there are some here, Father, who've been saved and baptized, but they need a local church, and they're serious about the Great Commission. Bring them to help us. Now, Father, we thank you for your magnificent mercy today. We know we are worthy of nothing but wrath, but in your grace, you sent your Son on a rescue mission. And you provided in his blood atonement a complete and total payment for sin. And you demonstrated to the whole world that he was Lord when you raised him from the dead. Now you've commissioned us to go on a rescue mission. To go and to tell and to make converts, disciples of all peoples. Help us to be obedient. Help us to forget the failure of the past week or months or years. And to go forward from this day onward. Then when we meet Christ in heaven, we will have no regrets. I ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake.
1: Amen. To listen again to today's message from Romans chapter 2, entitled The Judgment of the Respectable Sinner, visit our website at searchthescriptures.org and using the browsing tool under the Resources tab, choose The Series of Romans. Be sure also to check out our Search the Scriptures app, available through the iTunes Store and Google Play Marketplace. And of course, you can always call us at 877-787-7478 and request a CD or DVD copy of this or any of Pastor Brogy's messages. The trip to Israel planned for this month has had to be rescheduled to May of 2022, and we still have a few availabilities. If you'd like to visit the Holy Land with Dr. Brogy, This will be the trip of a lifetime as Pastor Carl, teaching from the Scriptures, brings alive the places you've only read about. Find out more by going to stsisraeltour.com. And remember, the registration deadline is February 8, 2022. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll begin Part 2 of The Judgment of the Respectable Sinner. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.